You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Transit police are investigating a possible hate crime after two men were assaulted on SkyTrain. Global Sarah McDonald is live at the Waterfront SkyTrain station near where part of this was recorded on camera. Sarah, there is video of the attack, at least part of it. That's right, Chris. And as you said, this is where that alleged hate crime occurred at Waterfront Station in downtown Vancouver. It actually happened in September, but transit police are just now releasing video of this incident in their effort to find any witnesses who may have saw this attack play out. Now, this is the man they are looking for. He is accused of assaulting a young gay couple, two men, both passengers on board the SkyTrain on the afternoon of September 28th. At least one other passenger stepped in to help the victims who were either kicked, punched or spat on by this suspect who was also allegedly hurling homophobic remarks at them in the process. That is why police are calling this a hate crime and they're asking for anyone who may have witnessed it to come forward. We're appealing to the public um, in hopes that somebody might know who this individual is and we're also um, looking for anybody that may have been a witness to this incident. We know that we had a bystander jump in and, and attempt to help out our victim um, but we haven't heard from that individual. And here is the description of that man they are looking for. The suspect in this case, he is white, between 30 and 40 years old, well over six feet tall, with a burly build and several days of facial stubble growth at the time of this attack. He was also wearing red Nike shoes, a black baseball cap, a dark hooded jacket, and black shorts. Now, if you think you may know this suspect, or if you were one of those witnesses that saw that attack here at Waterfront Station in downtown Vancouver on September 28th, Chris Police are asking you to get in touch. Let's hope someone steps forward. Thanks very much, Sarah. A Chilliwack man who was once a member of racist extremist groups in the UK, but later gained worldwide attention for rejecting his racist views, is about to be kicked out of the country anyway. As John Waugh reports, despite changing his ways, Nikki Cooper is being deported. This is what it looks like. The hurt is causing my, my kids... This breaks my heart. When a family is about to be ripped apart. I'd had a call from Ottawa and they wanted me gone by the end of this month. Nikki Cooper will be deported in three weeks by the Canada Border Services Agency for the mistakes he's made in his past when he was part of the UK hate group Combat 18. Absolutely rips my heart out to think that something I did when I was just a kid is affecting my children and my wife to this very day. Cooper says he's been trying to make up for it ever since. Painting over racist graffiti. Bringing messages of inclusivity to the classroom. Anything to fight hate in Canada, which he decided to call home 13 years ago. He's honestly my inspiration for so much of the things I do now. Just to like show that someone can change their life around. Despite being an open book with immigration investigators, the man Cooper had become was still not enough. I've never known him as, like, the person that they say he is. But I just never thought it would happen to us. Cooper tried to get temporary permanent residency or ministerial relief. But those applications have been lost in bureaucratic limbo. I think that if someone's able to take a look at that application in the next three weeks, they'll see that the, the reasons for Nick staying in Canada 
are, are there. There's also concern that once this anti-racism crusader returns to England, the people of his past will be waiting. There's going to be some pushback from them because uh, obviously I've spoken out, it's been on the nose and it's been all over. If deported, Cooper's daughters will stay in Chilliwack with their mother. Son Tier starting a new life in the UK with his dad. It just sucks to see him have to go as well. It's not just a hole being driven through this family. A community might also be losing one of its biggest champions against hate. John Hua, Global News. Some gotcha politics in the legislature today. Vancouver NDP MLA Mabel Elmore is under fire tonight for her expenses. And now that she's been called out, she seems to be changing her mind. Keith Baldry joins us live from Victoria. Now, Keith, set this up a little bit to help viewers understand why she's being criticized for poor judgment here. Yeah, so sometimes it's often the case the small things get the biggest problems for politicians. So Mabel Elmore last year, she's a parliamentary secretary for poverty reduction, veteran MLA from Vancouver, Kensington, took what was called the welfare food challenge, uh, basically trying to live on uh, $19 a week, a total food budget, posting photos like uh, hard-boiled eggs is basically the limited uh, uh, diet you're going to have if you have $19 a day. But the, the uh, Liberals got their hands on her expense account, filed the legislature as an MLA, and and what do you know? She filed for the per diem, $61 a day for four of the days she's supposed to be on this five-day challenge. Needless to say, an embarrassing situation for an MLA claiming $61 when you're supposed to be living on $19 for the entire week. Mabel Elmore telling reporters today, basically a slip-up on her part and her staff. They just didn't simply catch and connect the fact she was supposed to be basically almost starving on $19 a week, let alone claiming the per diem. Here's her explanation. So uh, the per diems, the um, expenses, it's uh, submitted from staff just by a matter of course. And once um, you know it was raised and had the opportunity to review it, then it—that's uh, when I—that's when I learned about it. So you would have had to actively ask staff not to claim the per diem to have avoided it. Right. It was um, while while we were in the legislature. But you missed it when you signed off on it. Like when you went reviewed the court, the staff's preparation, you did not flag it as being the same week as the challenge. Right. It was. It just didn't. It just didn't. Um, I didn't uh, catch it. So technically, no rules were broken here, Chris. But Mabel Elmore also telling us today in that same scrum that uh, to, in the spirit of the thing, that she's going to uh, pay that money back, more than $200 back to the public treasury. She agrees it was the wrong thing to claim the per diem. So no money lost at the end of the day, but a bit of an embarrassment for a veteran MLA. Sounds like an okay, but rectified. Thanks yep. very much, Keith. All right, the B.C. Liberals have introduced the person they'll be putting up to challenge in the Nanaimo by-election. Businessman Tony Harris is seeking to take over the seat being vacated by New Democrat Leonard Krogh, who's stepping down to become Nanaimo's mayor. A Liberal win would put the party in a tie with the NDP Green Alliance and could lead to the downfall of the government. Harris says his priorities as MLA would be addressing homelessness and child poverty and improving health care in the region. I would like to meet as many people in the community as I can and, and hopefully they'll see that I'm an authentic person and I just care about this place. Whether it's the whales or, you know, underprivileged children or my fellow business people who are having a hard time with the new taxes. Still no date set for the by-election, but campaigning is expected to begin in earnest in the new year. 
B.C.'s Conflict Commissioner has rejected a complaint against Attorney General David Eby. The Liberals lodged the complaint over Eby's proposed changes to recall campaigns. They argued Eby shouldn't be able to introduce new rules when he himself is about to be the subject of a recall campaign. The conflict watchdog says until that actually happens, no rules have been broken. Well, yet another indicator, the white-hot real estate market is cooling down. It wasn't that long ago that Langley was considered one of the hottest markets in the region. But now a glut of condos is forcing some developers to offer incentives, unheard of just a couple of years ago. Ted Chernecki reports. To overuse that line from a book and then a movie, build it and they will come, doesn't necessarily apply anymore in BC's lower mainland. They're building still, but they're not coming like they used to, at least not at these prices. And it's not just places like Langley that are seeing the changes. The CMHC is forecasting at least two years of falling prices throughout Metro Vancouver. Our outlook is for a 7% uh, decline in the average MLS price in 2019 and a further 4% in 2020. Nowhere is the sudden change in the real estate forecast more evident than in Langley. Only a couple of years ago, this market was scorching hot. But for developers, at least, now is the winter of their discontent. It's shocking, Langley, because you, you went from literally record low inventory, like literally almost no inventory for sale, and then all of a sudden it just, it just basically almost quadrupled in one year. In fact, there are several real estate markets within the Lower Mainland. The West Side, for example, by some estimates, down 21% from just a year ago. And even condos in Surrey and Langley may seem to be holding their value, but that all changed about six months ago, and the drop has yet to be reported. The offering to pay buyers first year's worth of mortgage payments. That was probably the most aggressive, but I would say certainly most of them are offering like some sort of decorating bonus or rebate at closing. And for those wanting in, it's a buyer's market, and suddenly there's choice out there and bargaining leverage, but not for renters necessarily. We do expect with some of the new rental supply that's coming online that the vacancy rate uh, will improve slightly, but only slightly because it was 0.9% last year, and we're projecting that it'll be 1.3% uh, in 2019 and 2020. CMHE's forecast notes there is a record number of new units currently under construction across the region and prices are already dropping. Once these projects are complete, it forecasts about a 20% drop in housing starts by 2020. Ted Chernecki, Global News. And the city of Vancouver today launching the second year of its empty home tax. Advanced property tax notices are being mailed to the city's residential property owners who have to submit a property status declaration. The city says in the first year of the tax, 99% of owners submitted their declarations and an estimated $30 million was generated for affordable housing initiatives. It appears tonight that a decision by the former Vancouver City Council to increase density in the city could be killed by the new council. Grace Key tells us about the controversial duplex bylaw that could be reversed less than two months after it was voted in. Concerned that the city is trying to rezone all of the single-family lots in Vancouver. Been haphazard last minute. They complained their voices weren't being heard by the previous city council. Now they could be getting a second chance with the new one. The newly passed bylaw that allows for duplexes in most single-family Vancouver neighbourhoods could be getting another look. I don't have anything against duplexes. It's just the rezoning that happened. Councillor Adrian Carr may second a motion introduced by Councillor Colleen Hardwick that reconsiders the new duplexes. 
duplex rules. Carr says it's a lack of public input and rezoning that has her concerned. My concern is the impact could be on producing housing that isn't that affordable for very many people because the prices still will be so high for duplexes. The motion to allow duplexes was passed along party lines in a 7-4 to four vote. Green Party Councillor Carr and MPA Melissa DeGenova voted against it and both are back on council. Cope Councillor Jean Swanson says she hasn't made up her mind yet but is leaning to rescind. It won't target the people who need housing. Uh, second one is that renters aren't protected at all. So if the, the area is upzoned, then buildings could be sold and existing renters could be kicked out. Carr is putting forth a motion that calls for a city-wide plan, getting public input on everything from housing and density to transportation and amenities. We haven't had one since 1928. It's sort of hard to imagine a city of our size. All we've done is sort of local plans, some citywide policies. The motions go before City Council on November 13. Grace Key, Global News. And Vancouver's affordable housing crisis has generated another heartbreaking story of hardship. Catherine Urquhart reports on a mother and daughter living in their vehicle while dealing with a lot of other challenges. These are tough times for Crystal and her disabled daughter, Lily. You're going to be okay, Lily. Mommy's going to get us something. The two moved back to Vancouver from Alberta in the hopes of accessing better services for Lily. Now, more than two months later, they remain homeless, living inside their van. What's the hardest part of being in this situation? Watching her suffer. Knowing she's having seizures. Um, knowing she once had a 25-minute grand mal seizure and it almost didn't make it. And it's scary. It's, it's terrifying. Crystal and her 25-year-old daughter, victims of Vancouver's pricey rents. Basically, we can't find a home um, that's affordable. Mm. The prices have skyrocketed. Um, and we've been having to live in it. Uh, we eat our meals in there. We sleep in there. It's like a refrigerator at night. At Spanish banks, where the two are parked for the day, many others are also living out of their vehicles. We were just talking about that, like my husband and I, because I drive parts here and I notice people living in their vans, and it's, it's kind of sad. Do you think it's gotten a lot worse? Well, this, I think over this year it has, I think, yeah. Since arriving, Crystal and Lily have spent a few nights at the Y, giving them a chance to clean up, but they have no prospects for a home. I didn't think over two months it would take that long to find a place to live. Like, you know, I had hoped just a week or two, you know. With winter weather coming, their need for a home now becoming urgent. So cold. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A global exclusive now and a change in direction for the NDP government about potentially abandoning daylight saving time in B.C. Our Richard Zussman is live in Victoria with that story and much more. Richard, it was just last week that Premier John Horgan ruled it out. What's changed? Chris, California has changed. This is one of these issues that Premier John Horgan says he hears about more than any other issue. He has received thousands and thousands of messages about keeping the clocks the same. And as you mentioned, he seemingly put to bed the issue of changing the way that the clocks work here in B.C. But yesterday, people in California voted almost 60 percent 
to get locked in on daylight saving time year round. And because of that, Horgan seems to have a change in what he's thinking about doing here in British Columbia. There are still some hurdles that California must clear. First, they need two thirds of the support uh, in the House of Representatives in California. And then half of the Congress federally must change the rules because there needs to be a federal law change. But Horgan says if California does take care of those two things and makes a change in terms of locking in to daylight savings time, BC will likely follow suit. Now the referendum outcome in, in California is only the first of many steps. They need two-thirds support of their House, uh, their state legislature, as well as an endorsement by the National Congress. So there's a long way to go yet, but I, I, I can't imagine that British Columbia couldn't follow California should they go down that road. There are two jurisdictions in the United States that right now lock in on daylight saving time, Arizona and Hawaii. Saskatchewan also doesn't change the clock. Still a while, though, until we can figure out what exactly will happen here in British Columbia. But it is one of those issues, Chris, uh, that could be very curious here. Sounds like there is a chance. Okay, thanks very much, Richard Zussman in Victoria. All right, now a drastic move designed to save the threatened southern resident killer whale population. Washington State is looking at a three to five year ban on whale watching. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, that could have an impact on a popular industry on this side of the border. Whale watching community represents 19 ports of call, 32 companies. At Eagle Wing Tours, the wildlife viewing is year round. The star of the show, often killer whales. Now Brett Soberg's business might be facing a problem thanks to a decision in Washington State. A committee recommending at least a three-year moratorium on viewing of the endangered southern residents. It's a decision the whale watching industry says is based on flawed science. Prey availability is the number one issue. Um, we could have a quiet landscape and no food. The whales are, we're still going to watch them become malnourished and starve. Proponents of the ban believe both issues need to be tackled right away. This isn't an either-or situation. This is both and. There's not enough salmon. The noise and disturbance makes it harder for them to find the salmon that is there. There are a few details available about what the proposed moratorium will mean, but it will have an impact on Canadian business. The whale watching uh, community is very much a trans-border industry. Uh, we're frequently in U.S. waters, as are our American friends also in Canadian waters with great frequency. There is no indication Canadian authorities are thinking about a similar move. BC's tourism minister saying whale watching is an opportunity to highlight the plight of the southern resident population, which is now down to just 74 individuals. They work with DFO uh, to ensure that they're respecting the whales and that, uh, you know, that we're keeping our distances. Canadian companies already considering the health of the southern residents, JK and LPODs making up just 10% of Eagle Wings viewings and the industry voluntarily pulling back from the endangered animals. Tourists don't seem to mind, still flocking to a wildlife experience that is one of a kind. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A bobcat in the backyard, quite the thrill for a Coquitlam couple who spotted this young cat on their property. They saw it stalking some salmon, uh, spawning salmon in a stream on Burke Mountain and pulled out the camera. They watched it for about half an hour as it occasionally took a swipe at the fish, but they never saw it actually catch one. They're calling the whole affair a once-in-a-lifetime experience.
And maybe it would have had more luck in northwest Washington state where chum salmon are navigating their way across a flooded road. It's an annual phenomenon going on for decades. The fish are trying to make it to spawning grounds upstream in the Skokomish River. Well, salmon is, of course, a big part of the grizzly bear diet, but if given the chance, they're just as lucky to eat our castoffs. In Bella Coola, where the bear population is booming, that leads to a lot of conflict with humans. And as Sarah McDonald reports, because the bears are so important to the local economy, locals have to learn to adapt. Summer tourist season may be over on British Columbia's central coast, but debate and dialogue surrounding one of the region's most remarkable yet divisive residents rages on. Concerns from citizens that there's more activity by grizzly bears in residential areas than there has been for a while. The grizzly bears of the Bellicula Valley may be polarizing among the people they coexist with largely without incident, but they're also highly profitable. Most people do come here to see bears in some capacity. Something Fraser Koraluk knows firsthand having operated in this region for nearly two decades. Most of the visitors would assume that the local population has adjusted their lifestyle to be living with the bears. But that transition hasn't been as seamless as some may expect. When you do see a grizzly walking through these very natural areas, it just feels like they truly belong. And they do. Yeah, and they know they do. Yeah. And animal behavior specialist Ellie Lamb is among those advocates insisting humans bear the brunt of the responsibility when it comes to mitigating and preventing conflict. That's a nice baby, Mom. With these extraordinary sentient mammals. There is the biggest problem for bears is our fear. I think people, to, for safety purposes, need to understand these animals um, for the safety of not just them, but I'm saying for the safety of bears. The veteran guide runs sightseeing tours out of this region, routinely encountering awe-inspiring moments like this. A very polite girl. They are amazing animals and there's so much we can learn about ourselves through life and living with these animals. Those who formed unique bonds with these bears through years of work on the ground now countering the narrative of some residents working to coexist with them. Warning human behavior like this only serves to aggravate an already delicate dichotomy between the animals that have roamed this land for millennia and the humans they share it with. There is one thing that is largely undisputed, and that is that this issue is dynamic with no clear or easy solution, with neither the humans here or the apex predators they share the land with going anywhere. Sarah McDonald, Global News, Bella Coola, BC. The Transportation Safety Board is investigating what caused a Boeing 747 to skid off the runway at the Halifax Airport this morning. It came to rest in a field just 50 meters short of a public road. The four crew members were treated for minor injuries. The plane was just arriving from Chicago to pick up a shipment of lobster that was destined for China. The incident has resulted in a number of flight delays at that airport. And Boeing has just issued what they call an urgent safety alert for its new 737 MAX 8 planes just a week after one of them was involved in a fatal crash in Indonesia. Boeing says investigators have indicated that Lion Air Flight 610 experienced false input from one of its sensors that had been replaced on the ill-fated flight just a day before the crash. The problem can cause planes to enter a sudden nosedive. Boeing's bulletin reminds pilots how to handle the problem using, quote, existing flight crew procedures. Another shocker out of the White House tonight. Jeff Sessions is out as U.S. Attorney General. 
Sessions says he's stepping down at the president's request. The move has sparked concern that this could be the first step from President Trump to shut down the Mueller probe, although Trump denies that. Sessions' chief of staff, Matthew Whitaker, has been named acting attorney general and will now take over the Mueller probe. He's been an outspoken critic of the scope of the investigation. A side note to Sessions' departure, he's been strongly against the legalization of marijuana and any cannabis-related products. So when news broke about his resignation, pot stocks soared. Tilray, for example, went up by as much as 25% today. New developments also today in the Tony Clement sextortion scandal. The high-profile MP has been dumped from the Tory caucus. Obviously, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a terrible lapse of, of judgment that uh, we're all disappointed in. Um, so Tony's now going to focus on uh, his family, his marriage, uh, and uh, we certainly do wish him all the best. Clement, a member of a special parliamentary committee on national security and intelligence, admitted to being blackmailed and told to pay about $75,000 to prevent the release of some sexually explicit images of himself. Tory leader Andrew Scheer asked him to resign when other allegations surfaced today. Clement, who is 57, is married with three children. In Health Matters tonight, Canadian soldiers protecting your health. Shortly after the Second World War ended, a long-term study was launched into the heart health of our military vets. One B.C. man must be doing something right because he's still participating in the research and he's 100 years old. Linda Aylesworth now on the lessons we can all learn from Jack Miles. How would you describe your health compared to others your age? I don't know anybody my age. Jack Miles has spent 70 of his 100 years on this earth participating in what has become the longest running study in Canada. Every year they get, we get a questionnaire which we have to fill out and the last one was 13 pages. All of these filing cabinet drawers, 139 drawers, are full of envelopes. Each represents one of nearly 4,000 participants in the Manitoba follow-up study, started around World War II by the Manitoba physician who collected data from the medical examinations of young Canadian Air Force recruits. He said, you know, this is a great opportunity to look at the EKGs of healthy young men and perhaps follow them over time. Yeah, so there's the original ECG. When the war ended, the returning vets were asked if they'd continue to supply health information in an effort to determine if early electrocardiograms could predict future heart health. Back then, the connection between heart disease and smoking, weight and high blood pressure hadn't been made. Of course, those are all things that we know today, but we know them because of studies like this. Jack Miles, who joined the study in 1948, is one of less than 140 surviving participants. To what does he attribute his longevity? I haven't been a, a saint, and I've never smoked, but uh, I've had the odd martini. As for why he and others signed up for the study so long ago. They're doing this because it's the right thing to do. It's the same reason why they enlisted in the military in the first place. Extremely proud that I can do this really for humanity. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Two officers involved in some foul play, but it's not what you might think. We've got an explanation, explanation for you just ahead. 
after Christie's weather. Before we get to that, though, the search is on for a few good men and women willing to help save lives in Metro Vancouver. Operation Red Nose has launched its seasonal campaign to get people home safely from their parties and events. It's a free service that connects volunteer drivers with people who may have had a few too many drinks or ingested other substances. Any donations or tips stay in the community and go towards local youth and amateur sports. One gaping hole in Metro Vancouver, though, for the second year in a row is south of the Fraser. We're not going to be in Langley, Surrey again this year. We um, contacted a few organizations in the area. Nobody stepped forward to actually apply to host our program this year. Each year, an average of 65 people are killed in accidents in B.C. involving impaired driving. Operation Red Nose remains important, with the province saying that we won't have ride hailing until at least the fall of next year. And you know how difficult it can be to get a cab on those busy seasonal party nights. Okay, let's... Nah, we're still a long way from winter, I think. We'll check in, even though we've got snow geese in the background there with Christy. That's right. Just got reports, actually, Chris, today that the snow geese are back. Great shot from Richmond. Thanks to Kelly for that one as well. Look at West Ham Island. Yes, just covered. Now, last year, we had a huge population of snow geese. So we're still waiting to see uh, how many come this year. And uh, it looks like a lot as far as this uh, photo is concerned. A beautiful day, though, as you can see this morning, though, cold and frosty right across the province. This shot from Stewart. As you can see, that frost also created a bit of fog over the water areas and another great shot showing the uh, foggy, frosty morning. We are expecting that again tomorrow morning. A lot of areas in the far north could see wind chills close to minus 20, minus 25. And yes, we'll see that uh, chill right down through southern regions. Now, we have one more dry, beautiful day on the way for southern B.C. That's our tomorrow, everyone. North coast, though, you're in for a change later tomorrow. And that change is going to push into the southern regions by Friday morning. And it means snow, even for lower elevations, for anywhere in the interior regions. And for the coastal regions, rain. So, yes, our Friday is going to be wet. But at least you have one more sunny day tomorrow. Here's how much snow. We could see anywhere from a trace to five centimeters across the province. And, yes, again. Again, this is at lower elevations, but we'll for sure see snow at higher elevations. Lower elevations will see the snow change over to rain as temperatures warm up, but we expect the snow to continue through the day on the highways, all mountain highways across B.C. So if you need to travel, head out tomorrow or wait till Saturday. Those are your two good travel days. So this is your tomorrow. North coast regions getting hit. Yes, inland regions like Terrace will see snow in the morning, but another beautiful day across the south. That's why we said, yes, tomorrow's your travel day. Don't head out on Friday. South coast, we'll see some cloud cover, especially through the morning period. Otherwise, sunshine. And it's really just one day of wet weather. We're back to sunshine for our long weekend, including Remembrance Day. So perfect for the ceremonies that will be taking place. Great shot. One last uh, beautiful shot of the frosty morning. Thanks to Shannon for that. Man, that is beautiful. Thanks very much, Christy. A pair of police officers in Colorado have been involved in some foul play that was caught on video. Get back! Get back! The deputies were finishing a call when they spotted a large wild turkey that began pursuing them. The big bird aggressively chased them down a driveway, across the street, and right up to their patrol cars. And while the officers were unharmed, they are fully aware that wild turkeys have sharp beaks and claws that can inflict 
some serious injuries. It's it's getting close to U.S. Thanksgiving. Yeah. And maybe the, maybe the turkey knew what back. was coming. Yeah. It's just it's fighting a, back. It's turkey revenge. It is. I mean, what do people eat at Thanksgiving? Turkey. <laughs> turkey. Maybe the turkeys have Thanksgiving and they're going to eat us. <laughs> Good points. It's only fair. All right, Squires here with uh, sports, wondering if uh, we're going to see some success out of the Whitecaps with a new man at the helm. Well, we'll see a new coach and probably pretty much a new team. The thing is, you know, there's not a lot of off-season in the MLS. Mm -hmm. I mean, they get really back to it next March, so there's not a lot of time here. So Mark DeSantos is the Vancouver Whitecaps' new manager, coach, whatever you want to call him. Uh, in soccer, they like to say manager. He has succeeded at lower levels. He succeeded as a coach in Brazil, and he was very good in his assistant with the expansion LAFC this year. He is considered one of the up-and-comers in coaching. He's a Canadian. He's from Montreal. He can speak four languages. And he has only a few months to break this roster down and rebuild it before training camp in February. The man he replaced, Carl Robinson, believed in a counter-attack style. Dos Santos wants to lose the counter and just attack. As a coach, I have a, a dream of, of playing like today. Napoli of last season was a big reference for me as a coach, or teams like Liverpool that are objective, that, are, that go at the opponent. The cap style of planter Mark Dos Santos is going to change, but the budget he'll operate under looks to be very similar to the one Carl Robinson struggled with. Not quite do more with less, more along the lines of spend your dollars wisely. Less on absolute dollars, more on more effective and efficient spending. And I think we as a club, as a collective, not any individual, and or, but as a collective, we've, we haven't had effective and efficient spending. If you just focus on what the others spend and the other players, you're missing out on what you have here. And what you have here, it's special. It's a good move to get to the byline in a dangerous area, tries to pick out a man. Well, that's open for debate because clearly there was nothing special about this past Whitecaps season. Not when players openly spoke about a divided dressing room full of cliques. I've never seen such a... Um, a, a, a team that had a lot of clicks. And that's something the new head coach won't stand for. In the Caps' words, are all our honour come 2019. The players that are going to be in this club is players that care for this club and players that want to fight for this club. That, I guarantee you. DeSantos is the first Canadian born to handle MLS coaching duties for the Whitecaps. Pride in the Maple Leaf isn't lost on him, nor is ensuring vertical integration between the Whitecaps Academy and the MLS side. It's something you could argue that didn't happen enough during Carl Robinson's stint as head coach. That was very appealing to me, that it was a club, that it's a club that has the dream of continue building players through the academy, um, working on that vertical integration, that was very appealing uh, to me also. Is it just me or is it... There's a little. The Van Damme thing's not, not happening? Okay, maybe not. Uh, now our daily Elias Pettersson moment. So, with his 10th goal last night, he has 16 points in his first 10 games as a Canuck. That actually ties the team record shared by Mike Walton way back in the 70s. And Essa Tikkanen, you forget Tikkanen played here, uh, for most points in your first 10 games as a Canuck. He's the only teenager in the last 30 years in the NHL to start his career with 10 goals in 10 games. First player to record 16 points in his first 10 games since 1992, and he has a point in every road game he has played. And, of course, last night that slap shot 
Again, how many goals does he score where he goes up top? It's a ton, and that's hard to stop. Anyway, the Canucks are in Boston tomorrow, and everybody in Boston will be excited to see the NHL's newest young superstar. And now some older superstars, Alex Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby against each other. Washington, Pittsburgh, Crosby's loose. One-timer, goal. Take another look. 87 finds himself wide open. So he scores. Ovechkin has to answer. And how many times have we seen this kind of a goal from Ovechkin? In the face-off circle. One-timer. 1-1 one -one early third period. Want to see a great goal from last night? Watch this. From the Rangers, Neil Pion. Spin move. He's going. He's going. Oh, yeah, you bet. Yep. From one coast to the other. And deposits the puck in the net. There you go. Great goal from uh, Neil But Pion as it has gone on, it is uh, Cristiano team. Ronaldo, Juventus at home against Manchester United. It's Champions League action. This is also brilliant. Bonucci. The pass from Bonucci never hits the ground. Right oh. off the foot of Ronaldo. Take two looks here. That defies belief! Well, you could say that, yes. Wow. And a look. Oh, now he's showing oh. off the six-pack. Oh, come on. Who hasn't done that? I could do that, too. Seriously. I know. It's a fake-out free kick. Juan Mata. And Man United scored two goals late in this game and shocked Juventus 2-1. Yes, Marino. Go ahead. Keep talking. I won. There you go. How about that? Okay, thanks very much, Squire. Coming up on ET Canada, Spice Girls News, a homes and homes wedding, and the new Grinch. Plus, People Magazine introduces more sexy men with their pets. All of that is coming up at 7, right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to a very lonely Chris. Where's Sophie? Oh, thank you, Cheryl. Yeah, Sophie's uh, on the road. Yes, I miss her as well. On the topic of amazing women, though, she's accomplished a number of amazing... A number of amazing feats in her life, not the least of which was rowing across the Atlantic. But BC's Julie Angus has taken on a new challenge, helping protect our oceans. As Kylie Stanton reports, the Vancouver Island resident hopes to do this through some cutting-edge technology. There we go. In this small backyard workshop, big things are happening. We're going to have that piece. All in an effort to better understand an enormous unknown. Basically, any information you need from the ocean, these boats may have the potential to collect it. Julie Angus understands the ocean better than most people, being the first woman to row across the Atlantic on a 156-day odyssey. It was there she began to consider how valuable it would be to have boats travel autonomously across the ocean, collecting data, gaining insight on everything from tsunamis and earthquakes to the state of sea life, something that's never been done before. So it's something that we wanted to challenge ourselves to try and do. And so Open Ocean Robotics was born. So this is our Force 12 Explorer. The Anguses are now in the process of designing autonomous boats that harvest energy and collect information in real time. It also has a solar panel. But it's an undertaking that requires funding. Enter the Women in Clean Tech Challenge. We're looking across the country to find five of the top women entrepreneurs 
My name is Julie Angus. Angus was one of 147 applicants. After an interview and a 10-minute pitch, she was selected as a finalist and awarded $800,000. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. Because you already get so much support and uh, it, it gives your, your company the validation it needs to go forth and get funding from other sources as well. Over the next 30 months, the company plans to complete a working prototype and begin selling the product. But then there's one more step. In two and a half years, uh, they will choose uh, a winner, and that person will receive a million dollars to go towards their company. The prize could help accelerate the growth and the timeline of developing a fleet of boats to better understand what's out there. But win or lose, getting to this point is considered a massive victory and just the beginning of another adventure. It's already made a huge difference, and it will continue to do so. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Hope they make it. Good, yeah. Good luck with the with the project. Mm -hmm. uh, so it looks like some pretty nice weather is ahead for us. Yeah, we just have one day as a problem day, and that's Friday. So tomorrow, nice. We will see some cloud tomorrow, but really, it's Friday is a concern. Friday is the day you do not want to be traveling. Uh, even up to Whistler, they're expecting snow in the morning. Uh, but then you're good to go Saturday and through the weekend. Nice for the vets. Yeah. On uh, Remembrance Day for sure. Okay, thanks for watching, folks. Have a good night. We'll see you tomorrow.